0: Today We come to the fifth and final uh, talk in this series about standing strong every story out of the Old Testament book of Daniel and we've got a lot of feedback during this series so I'm thankful that it's been helpful to you and let me just say this if you've missed any of the messages as a part of this series there's a couple of things you can do you can go to the church's website vitreolakeland.org and uh, you can just go to Lakeside and you can listen to it online or you can watch it online are some of you you're like me you love podcasts you can download it as a podcast and you can um, listen to it that way if you would like but if you want to go back uh, we started in chapter one in the very first week and when we started in chapter one uh, we talked about how that Nebuchadnezzar had come into Jerusalem and how that he had taken you know first of all he decimated the city He burned the temple, their house of worship, to the ground. Then he took all of these choice young men and he took them back. He took them into captivity. And the whole idea was we're going to brainwash them. We're going to teach them the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to start thinking like we think and talking like we talk. And they're going to become key instrumental leaders here in our nation at a certain point in time. And in their minds, they thought it was going to be uh, playing out one way. But for Daniel and for three of his friends, and there were more, but for the three friends that we're going to mention here today, they just said, you know what? We're going to stand strong for God. We're way away from home. Uh, our church is destroyed. We're way, way uh, far from our, uh, you know, our educational pursuits and where we were at being with our friends and being with our family. And now we're here in a strange land and they had a decision as to whether they would just like cave and submit to culture and everything that was going on around them, or in a culture that was, uh, you know, not congruent with who they were, would they stand strong for God? And so we start in chapter one, And by that time, uh, you know, they're 12 to 15. I mentioned that. But then last week, by the time we got to last week, which was uh, part four of this series, uh, we're at that point in chapter 10. Daniel is now more than 80 years of age. And so decade after decade... He's been walking strong in his relationship with God, trusting God, believing God, refusing to cave, committed to God just as much as when he had come out of Jerusalem as a teenage boy. And, you know, one of the things that I love, one of the things that I love when I see people, you know, uh, much older than me, which, you know, 40, 50 years older than me. Okay, maybe they're not quite that much older than me, but people, you know, people that are really up in years and they have just I've, I've got some uncles like this and I've got some family like this that these guys are older men. Now, I wouldn't say old men because they may listen to the podcast, but older men now. And they just faithfully, decade after decade, walking true to God, standing true to God, standing true and strong in their commitment to their family, to their church. And it's just a huge, you know, catalyst for a lot of us in the family to just say, hey, we want to be a lot like, uh, you know, our uncles who have like paved the way. So that's Daniel chapter 10. That was last week. Here's what we're going to do today. Uh, because this is another one of these classic stories out of Daniel a couple of weeks ago we looked at Daniel in the lion's den some of you you know you maybe haven't really looked at that since you were a kid if you grew up in church we're going to go back to another classic story but we're going to have to turn the plot uh, back to chapter three in order to do that so uh, now these three friends and they're the primary characters of the story Daniel's not in play as much here but in chapter three uh, there's these three boys who was t- who were taken captive with Daniel out of Jerusalem, brought to this Babylonian culture with him. And we're going to see one of the classic stories of, of Daniel here. Now, uh, we're back to King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, it goes from King Nebuchadnezzar. And then we got to about week three, there'd been, you know, a shift and now it's King Darius. Now, you know, because we're turning the clock back, we're back uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, before we uh, launch in, and we're going to dive headfirst in just a moment to chapter 3 of Daniel and look at his friends. And again, this point, because we're back in chapter 3, so Daniel and his friends, they're not these old guys. And in chapter 3, they're 14 to 15 years of age. And you're going to be totally, totally impressed with these teenagers. You know, I'm often impressed with a lot of teenagers, just their commitment to God and their vitality. And, you know, just watching some of our young people worship, knowing what's going on, their commitment to Jesus and where they've got to live it out. And a lot of our students, a lot of our teenagers have to live out their Christian life in a educational culture. Many times that's much different than what uh, we as a lot of adults feel the pressure to where we're at or where we were, whatever the case would be. So you're going to be be impressed with these teenagers as well. But before we get to them, there's a couple of verses that I want you to check out. Uh, This is in John chapter 16. It's verse 33. It's the latter part of the B part of the verse. And um, it's, it's what Jesus is saying. These are the words of Jesus. In this world, this world, as long as you and I are in this world, we're in the same world that Jesus was in 2,000 years ago. It certainly changed a lot, obviously. But in this world, Jesus said, You will, what are the two words? You're going to have some trouble. You will have trouble as long as you're in this world. In this world, you will have trouble. Read the rest of it with me, everybody. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And uh, here's what we know. I want you to think about this for just a moment. In heaven, in heaven, there are going to be no trials, no trouble, or no tribulation. How many of you are glad of that? There's in heaven zero, zip, nada. There's going to be no trial. You'll never face a trial in heaven. You'll never have any trouble. There's going to be no tribulation in heaven. But that's where it's key, in heaven. Jesus said that as long as we're in this world, he said, we're going to face some stuff. How many of you, you didn't even know Jesus, uh, you didn't even need Jesus to tell you that. Y- you knew it already, but it helps that Jesus knows. All right? You knew, and you face it. You're up against it. Now, the good news is, and you saw it with me in that verse, he said, you're going to face some, some trouble as long as you're in this world, there's going to be trouble, but you take heart, you be encouraged, you be strong, and stand strong, because I want you to always have in the back of your mind that I've overcome the world. Now... Uh, One more verse, and then we're going to Daniel chapter 3, I promise. Look at this verse. This is the apostle Peter. He says, these trials, we're talking about trials here again. These trials will show, this is really important. I'll talk about this about midway through the talk. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. You want to have your faith tested, see where it's really at? All right, just walk through a trial. And and he talks about, he said, it is being tested, your faith is, is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And again, I don't want you to miss this. It's really important. It's why I wanted you to see it on the front edge of this talk. There is something this this leader, this great church leader, we're introduced to him by the way in the Book of Acts. There is something about these trials that will reveal, he says, about trials, the depth of our faith. Trials, catch this now, will reveal the depth of our faith. Now you and I can pretend to anything. See, I can pretend that I'm an NFL quarterback. I can pretend that. You can't stop me from, I can pretend. No, I know I'm not. I mean, there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, if if I, you know, am I if if that were to happen, number one, uh, the uniforms wouldn't fit me well. The, a lot of them would be way too small. Uh, aside from that, just seeing if you're paying attention. Uh, aside from that, uh, you know, when the reality would come to light, the moment that I stepped on the field. That, so I can pretend all day long that I'm a, in my mind, in my imagination, that I'm a quarterback in the NFL. But the reality, the genuineness of that would be revealed the moment that I stepped on the field to call a play. And they'd be like, uh-oh, we're in trouble right here. Now, the reason I wanted to mention that analogy is this. We may pretend that we have a deep, unshakable, abiding faith. We may pretend that our faith is strong, but there's something about trials and trouble that will either, listen to this now, will either validate or repudiate that. Let me say that again because it's really important. See, I can pretend or cause you to believe that I have this huge amount of faith, that my faith is strong, and because my faith is strong, it helps me to stand strong, and I can pretend that all day long. How many of you know this? Are you like me in this regard? It's easier to have faith when everything's going good in my life. How many of you are like me? When things are going great in my life, it is easy to have faith, but it's only during the trials. There's something about trials that will prove the genuineness of our faith. It will either validate that, yes, our faith is strong and true and deep, or it will repudiate. It will be like, nope, it's not what we really thought that it was. And and now, you know, when I think about that and, and speak in regards to that, I realize that many of you right now may be at a point in your life where the depth of your faith is really being tested. It's being seriously tested. Maybe a lot of people don't know it. Maybe you're the only person, or maybe it's a close-knit group of people that know it. But for you, your faith is being tested with a family crisis. That may be where your faith. It's like, you know, how is this going to turn out? This is a crisis in our family, in our home, and, and we don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know which way this is going to twist and go, but but your faith is being tested. Maybe it's not being te- tested with a family crisis. Maybe your faith is being tested with a with a diagnosis that you've received. Maybe you went to the doctor or a lab report has come back or some other, you know, a scan has come back and something you're like, ah, oh, and your faith. It's like, you know, I'm trusting, I'm believing, but man, this is testing my faith. I'm about to find out if my faith is really strong or not. Maybe it's not that, maybe it's turmoil in the workplace and you're like, I don't even know. I like my job, but I don't like the environment or the culture of my job, or I don't even like my job, or I need a different job and I don't know what to do about it because I feel stuck and I don't like my boss, and my boss doesn't like me, and maybe I've even given him a few reasons not to like me, but nevertheless, here's the deal. My faith is being tested in the workplace. Or maybe it's stress in your marriage. It's not that you don't love each other. It's just like, you know, how do we get over this hump? How do we make our marriage better? How do we get back on track? How do we renew our love? How do, and maybe that's where your faith is being tested. in the most closest of all relationships outside of your relationship with Christ. Maybe the stress is in your marriage. Maybe it's financial pressure. Maybe it's a problem or problems that you're having with your kids or kids. Is that there? area? maybe it's something I haven't even mentioned. And your faith... Is being tested, and you're about to find out how deep is your faith, how genuine is your faith. Now, there's been numerous times in my life uh, across a plethora of a lot of different situations where I have just stopped, paused, and I've said something like this. I've either said it out loud to myself or at a minimum, I've thought it. And and I've done this many, many times, and it's from this guy out of the Bible when he's having a conversation with Jesus, and and he says this, have you ever said this, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Anybody ever felt that way? Lord, I believe, I really, really do believe, but please help my unbelief. I have faith, but help that part of me that I don't have as much faith. I really like what one writer said, faith isn't faith, faith. Faith isn't faith until it's all you're holding on to. If you don't have, I like what he says, listen to this. If you don't have anything left to grasp, you continue to reach toward God. Listen to that one more time. Faith isn't faith until it's all you're holding on to. Until it's all you're holding on to. Now, that may be, and I know this for a lot of you, that may be the exact spot that you're at right now. Where you're like, you know, I am faced with this, uh, and I, I'm i looking at this, and this is a trial. This is, this is trouble. This is some tribulation in my life. I am faced with this, and all it seems I have is God. Now, here's some good news, and I want you to hear this. Whether you're seated way back here, midway down right here near the front. If you're near the front, just so you know, this is like World. It's like spray zone. You're in the spray zone, all right, so just want to know in case you've ever thought about being up front. Come on down, join me. Would you come down? I mean, if I get carried away, spit out gum. I was, I was at the gym the other day. It was a little bit intense, and I'm like, Ugh. and next thing I know, my gum equipment timeout. My gum just poof. So I don't chew gum, so you're not gonna worry about that stuck to your forehead or anything. But wherever you're at, here's the reality. I've got good news for you. If you're faced with a challenge, you're faced with a trial, and all you've got is God. Here's the good news. God is enough. God is enough. God is all you need. Daniel had these three friends, and they're faced with a red-hot, fiery furnace, and all they had was God. But as you are about to see, and you're going to love these verses, we're going to look at in chapter three. What you're about to see is that God was all they needed. I mentioned to you that we're back to King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter three, and King Nebuchadnezzar makes um, makes a decision. Uh, see if you don't think that maybe this smacks of some arrogance. He decides that what he's going to do is he's going to build an image, listen to this now, that is literally nine feet wide, I mean 90, literally 90 feet tall. I, I'm a football guy, so that's three first downs, all right? Nine feet uh, wide. 90 feet tall, and he has this statue built, and this is what he demands. He demands that everybody, everybody, would everybody say everybody? Everybody. He demands that everybody will fall down, will bow before this image, and will worship it. And Should anybody refuse, it's not like, okay, you refuse, you're going to time out. You're going to time out. No, if you refuse, there were going to be dire consequences. And this is where we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3. This is verses 4, 5, and 6. I want you to look at this amazing story. It's going to help you today. Then an official out of the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, an official, one of his workers, chief workers, stood up and announced, People of every nation, in other words, it doesn't matter where you're you're from, Uh, you're from here, you're not from here, every race, no matter who you are, this is everybody, everybody is everybody, now listen to the king's command, this is not what I'm telling you, this is straight from the mouth of Nebuchadnezzar, trumpets, flutes, harps, and all other kinds of musical instruments will start playing, they're about to start playing, and that's going to be your cue, look at the next part, when you hear the music, read this phrase with me, everybody help me out. You must bow down and worship. You must bow down and worship the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up nine feet wide, 90 feet tall. Anyone who refuses will at once be, read the rest of the sentence with me, thrown into a flaming Furnace. And this is what they are confronted with. Will they bow down? Because this is an edict. This is an order. And it's not like time out. You're going straight to the fiery furnace. In other words, this is the death penalty. If you don't bow down before this image and worship it, this is what's going to happen to you. And there are these three teenage boys, their their faith is all of a sudden put to the test. Their names are, some of you may remember this. Some of you are going to be like, what? Those are the weirdest names. And I'll see. It'll come back to some of you. First, First one, Shadrach. Shadrach. You want to take a guess at the second one? Second one, Meshach. Third one, Horshak. Welcome back, Cotter. You remember that? Okay, maybe not. How many of you, by the way, I'm sorry. This It comes out. I can't help it. I try, but it just sometimes leaks out. I try to, but it, but it. how many of you remember Welcome Back, Cotter, and you remember Horshach? Yeah, you make me feel good. There's a lot of old people in here today. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. No, it's not horse. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, so I'm going to give you three truths. Are you ready? You ready? Sarah's ready. I don't know if anybody else is ready. Are you ready? Three truths to grab hold of from Daniel chapter three. Here's the first first one. Great faith will cause us to obey God rather than please people. Great faith will cause us to obey God rather than please people. People. There's not a highlighter phrase here, but I want you to see this verse, nevertheless. Look at it. It's a very important verse. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. The order's gone out. Here's what's going to happen. The music's about to play. You're going to fall down. You're going to bow down. You'll go worship. They replied to the king. Their response to it. Oh Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We do not. In other words, here's what's playing out. It's a very powerful thing. I don't want you to miss it. Don't want you to just see that verse and say, okay, let's move on. It's a very powerful thing. And uh, if you're not careful, you'll speed through it and you'll miss what is going on here. Here you've got King Nebuchadnezzar, one of, if not the most powerful man in the whole world. And you've got three 14 to 15-year-old guys who are standing strong and saying, you know what? Here's the deal. We know what you have said. We know that when the music starts playing and we don't even know what you're going to play. But when it plays, we know that you're telling everyone, everyone from every race, every nation, all of us, people in the homeland, you know, they're in Babylon. They're going to have to fall down and worship a king. We want you to know here's here. And, and they weren't like smart alecks about it. They weren't being arrogant themselves. But this is what they're saying. Uh, we don't have to give you an answer. In fact, if you've got to have an answer, we'll give you the answer. No, we're not gonna do it. And in essence, and again, don't miss this, it's so important. In essence, this is what three 14 to 15 year old boys are saying to the most powerful man on the earth who can immediately sentence them to death. This is what they're saying. King Nebuchadnezzar, we understand what you're doing, and you know, and they don't you know, but here's the deal. We want you to know this is not between us and you, this is actually between us and God. Not between us. It's between us and God. Did they have to think about it? No. They didn't even have to think about this. Did they have to pray about it? Negative. They didn't even have to pray about it. Did they have to declare fast and ask God whether or not they should bow down and worship this nine feet wide, 90 feet uh, tall image? Did they have to say, God, we we'll are just going to fast and pray? No, no, no. They did not have to do any of those things. Why? Because they already knew that obeying God was the right response, even if it meant that they would have to defy the king, even if it meant that they would literally have to face the heat they don't have to pray about it think about it talk to friends about it fast about it think it through they're like we're not going to do it they know the answer and they would think about 14 to 15 years of age they're saying we'd rather risk our own life and obey God than please the king how many of you, you think that's standing strong that's standing strong can I just tell you There are going to be certain times in your life, and it it will be, it's not just going to be like one and done, like college basketball, it's going to be repetitive. It's not, you know, not going to be with a flurry behind. But over time in your life, there are going to be these situations where obeying God is in conflict with what is happening around you. Obeying God is in conflict. And for some of you, you're like, yeah, I know that. Man, that's all in my face right now because at work... I'm expected to do this, but if I do this, if I really do this, and there's pressure, there's a subtle pressure on me and other people that we've got to do this, but I know that if I do that, that what I'm being asked to do is in disobedience to God, and you're going to feel that pressure. Some of you who are still in school, you're going to feel that pressure. It's going to be like, hey, you know, this is what we do, and this is sort of standardized, and this is what is accepted, and this is basically what everybody else is doing. And so obeying God in your context in school may mean that obeying God is going to be in conflict with what is going on around you. Maybe it's with a group of friends. And they feel one way very strongly, but you feel another way. And you've got to choose, do I obey God or do I just take the easy path that my friends are on? When everybody else is bowing, it seems... What am I going to do? Am I, and isn't it amazing that here we are, and most of us in this room, because our middle schoolers have already slipped out, most of us in this room are way beyond 14 to 15 years of age, and here we are this morning learning a lesson from them that they're saying, hey, even if it means they're going to march us straight from point A to point B into our death, we would rather obey God than please the King. And great faith, great faith, And that's where we find out in a trial, in a test, in tribulation, in trouble, how deep our faith really is. Great faith will cause us to obey God rather than people. Truth number two, be sure you get this. Great faith expects God to show up even if it seems unlikely. Great faith expects that God will show up even if it seems unlikely. I've I've got a place... um, in my heart for kids that come from a divorced family because that was my story. I was a kid from a divorced family. Uh, there are certain things that happen with kids that just break my heart anyhow to see how, how um, kids are just treated sometimes. I'm reading one of the four books I'm reading right now. A guy's just talking about some relief efforts where, where kids were actually... Uh, held in another country, and I won't mention the country now, but kids were actually taken from their family and held as like slaves and doing work. And I read that and how that they were kept in caves and that's, and just their lives. And man, I'm just reading this. I almost can't stomach turning the page because I'm thinking that is so different from the life, you know, really uh, that I lived and my kids lived and my grandkids lived. And I just think, man, you know, it's just, and so for me, I, I, I can connect with kids that, you know, their mom's and dad's divorced because that was my story. And I can remember that when my parents got a divorce and we moved back, uh, we weren't living in Atlanta at the time. We had moved away, and they got a divorce. Dad stayed uh, where we had been living, and mom and us three kids, we went back to Atlanta. And I can remember, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but uh, I'm the oldest, and so I got a little bit more And I think it was a little bit more difficult. It's difficult on all of us, but for my brother and sister more especially, it seems, and and just, I can remember for the first time our parents are apart and then being in Atlanta and dad's coming up and, and he's going to visit us on the weekend and just sort of waiting for that. And I was thinking about that while I was working on that talk. And in our case, because, you know, it was wild. I mean, we were irrationally loved by mom and dad. It wasn't like we just had a horrible house. We didn't even know. We really didn't even know our parents had problems till they set us down, said, we're getting a divorce. We didn't even know. We had hear them argue from time to time, but so were all of our friends' parents parents it seemed so we were shocked, and so it wasn't like you know dad wouldn't show but while I was working on this talk it made me think how many kids have maybe sat waiting for a father to show up and a father never did and here's Shadrach Meshach and Abednego and they're like oh, I'm hoping dad shows up I'm hoping our father shows up But if he doesn't, we're in big, big trouble. All right, next verse. You got to see it. All right, look at this with me. This is verse 17. They say, this is in response again to the king. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace... Oh, this is going to get good. And so I want you to stay dialed in. We're going to talk about something that I struggle with and you struggle with. Even if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand. King. Okay. The God we serve is what? Okay. Thank you. All five of you. All right. More coffee. We need more coffee in here. Could somebody bring the coffee? Can we try this again? All right, all right. Wave your hand if you're with me. Do I need to remind you of the smack them in Jesus' name if they fall asleep? That's, to a, that's the rule. If you see somebody, some of you are newer, somebody nods off next to you, you smack them. And then when they look like, what did you, in Jesus' name, Jesus led me to do. All right, so you smack them if you need to. We're gonna try this again. The God we serve is? Able, able to save us from it. And he? He will. He will. He's able and he will. Now, I want us to slow down long enough to see these two important words again. I had you read them again intentionally, able and will, able and will. And this is often a real struggle for me, and perhaps it is for you as well. I know, this is me, this, I don't know how it works for you. This is how it works for me. I know he can, but I have moments when I'm not sure he will. Does that ever happen to you? I know he can, but I'm not sure that in my situation he will. See, able, that word, two key words, able, will, able, will, able, will. I know that he is able, and able speaks to my belief. That, let me just say it this way, my theology of God. No matter what I'm going through, whatever kind of trial or test or trouble or tribulation I'm going through, uh, no matter what I'm faced with, I know my theology of God causes me to understand, I believe, I believe, I believe that God is able See, that's not my struggle. My struggle is with with the other word, will. Will he? Anybody else besides me ever struggle with that? I know he can, but will he? Will he move in this situation? I love what John Orberg has written in one of his books about faith. He says, it's better to have little faith in a big God than to have big faith in a little God. That's why Jesus said, we just need faith like a mustard seed. So it's better to have a little faith in a big God, he says, than big faith in a little God. And how many of you know we serve a big God that is able? That's not where my faith collapses. My faith collapses in this regard. I know he's able, but will he in this situation? See, what I actually long for is the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who had big faith in a big God. They're saying, you saw the verse with me just a moment ago, verse 17. We know that he is able, and this is what we're believing. They have no guarantees, by the way. I'll come to that. I believe he's able, but I also, we have the confidence, our faith, the depth of, depth of our faith causes us to believe that he will rescue. They were expecting God to show up even though it seemed unlikely so my point to you before we move on to the third truth is this I realize that you believe I realize that you believe that God is able but do you have faith that he's going to show up he will show that I know you know that he's able but do you have the faith to believe that he will show up for your situation truth number three third and final truth Daniel chapter three obedience obedience and not we're back to obedience again and not the outcome is our responsibility you and I are not responsible for the outcome you and I are responsible the part of the equation that works for us is the obedience and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here but again it's just this reminder to us all that you and I are not the we're not the responsible party for the outcome in fact normally situations that we face with that have any size to them at all we're powerless in that situation anyhow now we still try to fix it and make it happen on our own but in most cases in most cases things that are you know that are more pronounced in our life that we're going to face be faced with we're powerless. We can't change it in and of ourselves. If we could, we would have already, but we can't. So our dilemma right there, our challenge is just saying, what is my responsibility? My responsibility is to obey. It is God's responsibility concerning the outcome of how this goes. Now, and I'll give you a quick, quick example. But believe it or not, believe it or not, Kirby Smart, who is the head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs, does not need my help with his football team. How many of you already know that? I want to help him. I do. Every time I'm watching a game, I want to help him. I want to, why do you call that ridiculous play? Why did they let that receiver get behind them? Why did that have, why, why are you playing prevent when you've locked them down the whole game and now they're moving the ball up? So I want to help him with his team. But how many of you, I know that you know that I'm brilliant in regards to college football, which is a stretch and that's not true. But how many of you know Kirby Smart does not need my help with his football team? You know that. Thank you. Thank you for your confirmation. All right? Now, listen. Not only does Kirby Smart not need my help running his football team, God does not need my help running the world that he himself has created. He doesn't need my help. Do we want to help him? Yes. We want to tell God when... Uh, you know, when it should happen, you know, how it's going to happen. Do we want to help God? Absolutely, we want to do that. But that's not our responsibility is to tell God how to run the world, that he himself has created. Look at this next verse. We're almost, we're almost done. But even, this is the Hebrew boys again, but even if he does not, even if God does not show up, we want you to know, Nebuchadnezzar, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Here's what we believe. We know our theology of God is such that we, we know that he is able. We've got that one nailed down. And by faith, are you following me? Wave your hand at me. If you woke back up, you got that coffee. Uh, we know that he is able and we believe that he is willing. But look at the next thing that comes into the picture. But even if he does not, even if he does, we know that he can. We believe that he will. But just so you know, even if he doesn't. We will still not bow before your idol. Now you may think, well, that's easy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to have full trust in God because they knew the outcome ahead of time. The outcome ahead of time. How many of you know? We read the story on this side. They didn't know the outcome of the story. They're walking in the fire. They don't know how. They they believe that God. They know He's able. They believe He will, but there are no guarantees. Because they say, even if he does not. One writer said this, and I totally agree with it. See if this is not true of you as well. We would all like to be people of faith. We would all like to be people of faith, but we would prefer a guarantee up front. How many of you are like that? We all want to be people of faith. Okay, thank you, God. I'm about to walk into this fire. I'm about to walk into this trial. I'm about to walk into this situation. I I prefer a guarantee up front that everything's going to be okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not have that. Nor in most situations will we have that. Does God show up in Daniel chapter three? Does he? Yeah. See, we're on this side. We're not walking in. We read the story. Look at verses 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men? Weren't there three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, look at this, that we tied up, we tied them up, we bound them, we bound them, threw them into the fire. In fact, just before they went in, the king is so enraged that he has the fire heated up and the very people that throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, the fire is so hot, it says the heat of it uh, leaps out and and kills them. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go into the fire, tied up, thrown into the fire. They replied, certainly, O king, he said. Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see. This is a king now. This is Nebuchadnezzar. Didn't we throw three men? Yes, that's right. Three men. He said, I see four men. There's somebody else in that fire. I see four men walking around in the fire. Look at this. I love this. Unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. He doesn't even know how to read. Now, if you were here, I'm not going to go back because we spent time last week. If you were not here, go back and watch it. uh, Listen to it. Download the podcast. We talked about a theophany being a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus where Jesus who existed long before Bethlehem, uh, he was present from the very beginning. And on occasion, he would have these pre-incarnational life appearances referred to by theologians as theophanies. He'd make an appearance. And could it be, that this is Jesus. I I believe that it is, that it's Jesus. And Nebuchadnezzar doesn't even know how to refer to him. But he's like, and the fourth one, we threw. I just wanted to confirm because I think I'm losing my mind. Did we not throw three men in? And they're like, yes, king, three men. He said, then why do I see four men walking around? And the fourth one, is that Jesus in there? And it was. Can I just say something to you as we get ready to close? Sometimes you and I see and sense Jesus more When we're in the fire than when everything's going well. Can I say that again? Sometimes we see and sense Jesus more when we're in the fire. Because a lot of times, truth be told, our human condition is such, when everything is going well, we're not really looking for Jesus as much. Everything's fine. But when you get thrown in the fire, all of a sudden, you're more alert to, I need Jesus. I need him right here. And it ought not be that way, but oftentimes it will. So I'm going to ask you right there where you're at this morning, would you just take a moment and would you just bow your heads? Would you bow your heads? And I want to just ask you as we wrap up, is there any area of your life when you're trying, where you're just trying to please a person or people more than you're trying to please God? Is there anybody in your life, a person, a group of people, that you're trying to please them more than you are God? And you're going to have to get that nailed down. That's the place that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was in. You're going to have to get that nailed down. I've got another question for you while your head is bowed. I know that you believe God is able to show up. You know he's able because he's done it for other people. But do you believe that he will show up for you? He's able, but do you believe that he's going to show up for you? And we're going to pray with you and agree with you today that he is going to show up for you. I don't know what you're faced with today. I really, I really don't. I I don't know, as we talked about earlier, a a crisis in your family, a a test result that has come back, or a diagnosis from a doctor or a lab reporter. A scan, a CAT scan, an MRI, something, or I don't know about if it's you know a struggle that you're having with your kids or financial pressure, just something that's going on in your life. Here's what I want you to know: We want to pray for you right here, right now. And here's what I want you to know: I believe not only is God able, I am trusting and believing with you, and all of us are that God will show up. Not just he's able, but that he will show up in your situation. We did this last week. And if you want special prayer, I want you to just, and we're not going to hesitate. Don't want to waste time. I don't want to try to talk you into it. If so, you're not even serious. But if you want special prayer today, you're faced with a challenge. You're in the heat. I mean, the fire is breathing down your neck. You've got the pressure, the trouble, the trial, and you want people to pray for you. I want you to stand up wherever you're at. Just stand up right now. We're going to pray for you, right? Where you're at, just stand, just stand, just stand. And then I want a family member, a friend, or somebody that maybe you don't even know that person. I want you to stand up near them. And we're going to agree together right now. We're going to pray for them. See, God is able. But we're trusting and we're believing with you today that not only is God able, but that God is willing. God is willing. I want everybody to stand now. Uh, We're getting ready to give some praise to God. But before we do, we're going to pray. And we're going to believe, Lord, this is what we're asking you for. Some of our friends, some of our church family right now, They're in the middle of the fire, and Jesus, we pray that you would walk into the middle of the fire with them. Help them to know not only are you able, but you will bring them out on the other side. You are powerful. We're not responsible for the outcome, all we can do is obey, and we're obeying to the best of our ability. Now, you intervene, we pray. Jesus, walk into the fire, Jesus. Help us with our struggle. We ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can we put our hands together and give Jesus some praise? Let's sing a part of this song, then I'll be back. Your
1: promise still Great is your faith. Your faithful
0: God, as we leave this place today, this is what we know. We have seen you move in other people's lives. But now we're about to see you move in our life, in our situation, in our circumstance. You are God that is about to grow our faith and expand our faith and prove that you are who you claim to be. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, I love you, everybody. See you next Sunday, right back here.